Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 254. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. We are here this week to review and discuss Zombies 2. Okay, so... I kind of have my expectations set low, admittedly, because as we've sort of delved into DCOMs on Monoreal Radio, by and large, the sequel is never quite as good as the predecessor. Um, High School Musical 2 is unwatchably bad. Um, The second Halloween Town movie, really not that great. Um, Teen Beach 2, we don't talk about Bruno. And it was good, except for that last scene. Right. But the last scene undoes everything for me. And Descendants, it was not, I don't think it was quite as bad, the drop-off in quality, if I remember correctly. No, I think we liked Descendants as a whole, the entire trilogy. It was just sort of, I don't think there was a weak point in it. Right. So I'm kind of hoping that as we sit and discuss this, you know, plot and some new characters and some new music that we don't see it trend backwards, which unfortunately has sort of been the norm with a lot of these DCOMs. And I'm not exactly sure why that's the case. Um, But does it buck the trend of the rest? Does this feel like a natural progression of the story? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co., designers of handmade silkscreen shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles, such as sketchbook and concert tees. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code monoreal at checkout visit fiercefoxco.com to check out all of the collections seabrook is united and we learn of the history of the town's original settlers coming face to face with monsters in the woods the settlers found an energy source that they hid to safeguard from the beasts with anti-monster laws suspended the unity of seabrook has led to prosperity and the announcement that the old seabrook energy center source of the zombie infection will be torn down and replaced with a cheer pavilion an initiative led by zed but opposed to to by Eliza, who wants to protect zombie history. At Cheer Camp, Bucky still controls all. However, Addison and Bree are in charge of the new recruits, many of which are zombies, to compete for the Cheer Camp Cup. Everyone wishes to be invited to Prawn, a Seabrook version of Prom, including the zombies who are finally able to attend. Zed wishes for Addison and himself to be enshrined on the Prawn Wall of Fame. Z-Team wins the Cheer Camp Cup, and Bucky announces that he will run for class president, meaning that Addison will be the next cheer captain, because apparently he can't be both at the same time. Zed's elaborate prawn proposal leads to the cheer bush crashing in the woods, so Addison leaves to check on Zed and stumbles across a group of werewolves. So the city council puts all anti-monster laws back into place to protect the town, which also prevents zombies from attending the prawn. 
The werewolves, meanwhile, are getting sick as their necklaces, which harness their powers, grow weak. They must find the Great Alpha, as well as the Moonstone, to recharge their necklaces for the next hundred years. They find a Seabrook cheer patch in the woods and use it to head into town to find Addison. They sneak into Seabrook High and hide until they track her down. As Bucky plans his run for presidency, Zed decides to run and change the rules to make Prawn inclusive again. Meanwhile, the Aces look to take cheer captain from Addison. The werewolves crash the presidential announcement and ask Addison where the Moonstone is. However, she has no idea. To buy themselves time, they enroll at Seabrook. We also learn that if Zed defeats Bucky, Bucky remains cheer captain. Zed also realizes that werewolves are the swing vote and that his road to victory runs through them. The werewolves tell Addison the true story of how settlers struck first and stole the Moonstone, leading to her having a more softened stance on them. Zed rallies them for votes while Addison invites them to cheer practice. The wolves also put the idea into Addison's head that she may be one of them due to her white hair. Zed, meanwhile, notices Wyatt's interest in Addison. He is one of the werewolves and gets jealous, leading to an argument between Addison and Zed and and the uh, pair then has a fracture in their relationship. That night, the wolves take Addison to the Forbidden Forest, where she sees how sick they are becoming, Why, while um, Wyatt and Willa, his sister, desperately need to find the Moonstone and why this is so important to them. Bree goes to Zombie Town, who tells Zed, Eliza, and Bonzo that Addison texted for help, so they head to the forest to save her. The wolves show Addison a vision that leads them to believe that she is the Great Alpha and, in fact, a wolf. Zed and the rest arrive to see that Addison has new hair, clothes, and fits in, and learns that Bree misinterpreted the text. Addison is offered a necklace that would permanently turn her into a wolf, but she wants to think it over, so they give her 24 hours. They feel tremors coming from the power center and determine that the moonstone is there, so they become set on canceling the destruction. Addison, loving her new identity, tells Zed that she plans to go wolf permanently, which he can't accept, so he steals her necklace. When Addison goes to put the necklace on and she sees that it is missing, infuriating Willa as the wolves turn their back on her because now they believe that she is just irresponsible. Uh, on election day, Zed and Bucky rap battle in place of a debate. Zed has it won until the necklace that he's been hiding shorts out his Z-band and turns him full zombie, scaring the crowd. The wolves head to the power center to stop the destruction, so Addison and Bree leave to protect them. Zed arrives and asks his father, who's acting as the foreman, to stop the detonation, which he agrees to. Zed comes clean to Addison about stealing the necklace, so she tells him that she would never go to the prawn with him. She puts the necklace on to see that she is not, in fact, a werewolf. Meanwhile, a malfunction detonates the explosives and destroys Seabrook power, leading all to believe that the Moonstone is destroyed. 
and all of the wolves are now becoming even more sick than they were before. Bucky wins the election, and Prawn is declared humans only, but the zombies and werewolves crash the party anyway. Zed and Addison share a dance and reconcile. However, a fault in the earth opens up and spoils the party. They all follow the crack to find the moonstone buried but not destroyed. They retrieve it and save the werewolves while Addison is named cheer captain. That night as Addison sleeps, a meteor strikes and turns her hair blue. Okay, so there is a consistent, when you compare this to other DCOM sequels, this at first seems like we have a natural progression of the story. JK. I, that was my first question that I was going to pose to you. I appreciate the consistency of the open. It sticks with the animation. It's giving us what we know. That was something that, you know, we talked about a lot when we did the straight to video sequels where Aladdin, Lion King, they do really good resets, bringing us back into the world. Yeah. Other of the Renaissance films, not so much. So I appreciate what they did. But, oh, by the way, there's more backstory. So what do you think about that? I have a lot of thoughts. Um, I'm going to put a pin in some of the historical value that should have been appreciated in the first film, which obviously they had not taken into consideration because they hadn't at that point written a sequel. There are some kind of important things that I think we should have known in the first film based on what we learned in this film, my biggest problem is very much like High School Musical 2. High School Musical 2 ends with, we're all in this together. Sharpay, Ryan, and everybody else, right? They're on board now. They're on board. She gets her damn creme brulee soup to nuts, right? So when you start High School Musical 2, she has now reverted back to old Sharpay. And that causes a lot of problems when the kids get their jobs at the country club. The same thing happens here. Bucky yes. joins them at the end of the first film. Sees the error of his ways, seemingly. They all have a big block party barbecue. They're all getting along. The They're ACs... all sort of paired off, yeah. too. Like, he's dancing with Eliza and obviously Bonzo and Bree. But, like, they are sort of coupling them at the end of the first one all of that is seemingly out the window and we haven't even gotten to the anti-monster laws yet so if there's one consistent with some of these sequels i mean obviously the way that teen beach 2 completely undoes the, the first film right so the consistent is the first movie doesn't matter once the second movie comes along because we're going to undo the end of the first film. And I don't understand why this is such a decom formula. Now, I don't want to fixate on this too much because I don't want it to sway my opinion of the rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. But it's something that from the, from the moment the movie started, and I mean, you're seeing it in the animation that there's unity. But then as soon as the live action actors come in, unity be damned. It, it, I just don't understand why they continue to do this. I agree. But for the opening sequence, I'm talking about the animation itself. Uh -huh. I think they should have just picked one or the other. 
I have no problem with them introducing this idea of, well, it wasn't just the lime soda that had a ripple effect and created the zombies. There was another energy source here. And there's this whole other group of people that we're going to learn about. I actually like that they layered it in that way that both parties contributed to Zombieland. But I wish this would have just been exposed later in the movie that the werewolves had been there all along and that they too had a contribution instead of reanimating the beginning because like I said, it gives you that familiarity. It's it's resetting the world. But they essentially reshot the open. So that's where it's odd. And I think it also would have been a lot more effective when they eventually find the moonstone to reveal that that's where it was. Because now we as the audience know that it's been there the whole time. So it's it's not as, it doesn't have as big of an impact when Addison figures out where it is. Um, so I think that stripped it down for her a little bit too. And I was trying to figure out exactly why they did this because just based on where they shot in Canada, I mean, to me, it kind of read like the Pacific Northwest. I was thinking that from the first film, certainly now they lean into the setting more with the woods. And I was like, oh, maybe they're just trying to popular, uh, capitalize on Twilight's popularity. Right. This was years after Twilight. This this was like eight years later. And you already had a very successful first film. So this really didn't need to capitalize on anything. So it just didn't make sense for them to introduce it in the animation. But the rest of the reset, once we actually see Zed and Addison again, I love this beach fake out. I thought that was really fun that they have him buried in the sand and we see the hand come up. And they do sort of play on the idea of a zombie, you know, coming up out of the ground. Um, and I love what it what this does for the town, too, and how they're resetting that, you know, the barrier is down. There's now a park in its place so that you can recognize the history, but also show how they're moving forward. Um, and that business is booming in the zombie side of town. Um, even Coach, you know, he's got he's got a another business idea in the off season that's going to get him out of his mother's basement. And again, he gives us TMI about his personal life and I love it. So the rest of it is a really good reset. Yes. And I love how we have Kevin. Oh, that's right. His name is JC because we've lost an AC. So he needs to be replaced with an AC. I mean, that's on brand for Bucky. I think it is. I like it. Um, Here's my thing with Bucky here, other than the obvious that he's completely reverted back. Is it just me, or was his dialogue redubbed? Did his dialogue seem off to you? Almost like the audio was really punched up at the beginning of the of his uh, first scene in the film when they're at cheer camp. It almost, it doesn't, I don't know, there's something about it that didn't seem or sound natural. I didn't catch that at all, because I am so distracted by how hardcore this cheer camp is. Um, they're doing the basket flips and he's got his bakzuka. I loved it. And shooting them out of the sky with water. It was actually very funny. I And again, on brand for Bucky. But yes, he's regressed not only with his attitude towards zombies, but now he's got the A team and the Z team, as he calls him. So 
how is it that you fully accepted Addison? You you kicked her out of the squad in the last film. Right. Welcomed her back in with open arms. Right. Um, we needed a throwaway line because now that I'm thinking about it, they lost the competition and they've had a history of winning. So we needed a little something where he maybe blamed her for breaking their winning streak. And then it would have made total sense as to why he knocks her down a peg and has her in charge of all the newbies. Um, yeah. But even the ACs regress too. They're being so many, they're shredding her letters to Zed. They're not giving Zed's letters yeah. to her. Like where did all of this come from? None of this makes any sort of sense. It, it, it doesn't make sense for where we left off any of these characters at the end of the last film, other than Zed and Addy. Right. Like, it, it just doesn't make sense. You know, he has this really wonderful scene with Zoe at the end of the first film, and now all of a sudden, yeah. you know, like, it just all of this gets undone within the first five minutes of screen time. Another thing is Eliza, right? Like, she wants to rebel against the norm. On the one hand, like, it's on brand for her, but on the other hand... They worked so hard to finally get accepted and she bought into the idea of acceptance and, and everybody being inclusive that now this seems like a step back for her because she's revel rousing. I, there's, there's something about this where I, because she was trying to sabotage the cheer championship at the end of the first film and, and was talked out of it, now she's trying to be a rebel and end this detonation of what is otherwise very, it's, it's a harmful reminder of, of how the whole zombie apocalypse started. And they, they want to do something that's going to further unify the community. It seems a little off brand. I don't know that it is for her because I feel like she's always going to be the one to stand up for the little guy. So I feel like, regardless of what it is, there's going to be a cause and you sort of had to give her something because this park is already built at the wall. Um, what could have maybe been more effective was if the wall wasn't torn down yet and she was pushing that forward. Right. Um, but then I think you might run the risk of there's too much going on because we're going to get so many new characters with the introduction of the werewolves. How do you feel about prawn? The the mighty shrimp version of the prom. I think the name is so clever. And yeah. because school spirit is such a big thing, I totally buy this from Seabrook. Um, what I do have a bigger issue with, I, I, I know they did this for comedy, but I feel like the mascot driving the bus back is too much. But to actually see this bus crash, it sort of goes too far. I thought they were going to cut away from it. Um, and I love that Zed does get to do his big prom posal, um, because that is such a big thing with kids now, the prom posals. Um, so I love that we get to see this. I think this is so on brand for Zed to do like this elaborate thing for Addie. And I love that he's still doing it. It's not like she gets back to town and there's some sort of argument between them where they do the whole misunderstanding. You didn't write me. No, you didn't write me. That would have gotten played out very fast and we've seen it before. Um, so I like this whole moment. 
for their relationship. And Addie's so excited to see it. But um, to actually see this bus veer off the road and then go into the trees, I was surprised that they carried it out that far. It seems like an awful lot um, to take a bus full of school kids and put them into a bus crash. Um, They had to get her into the woods somehow. My bigger issue with it is how this entire thing gets set up. Everybody's starting to be paired off and getting asked to prawn. Bonzo and Bree have this are-they-aren't-they relationship that they're building upon, which is fine. I actually think that's kind of cute. I think it works. It especially works. Especially for Bonzo work. not being, like, the most verbal. Yeah, it, it definitely works. Um, And I think it speaks to Brie. Like, we're going to get a bigger... Yeah. Brie is going to become a bigger character in this movie, which I think is necessary because I think that... I wish we would have seen a little bit more of her in last week's film, right? So, obviously, she's going to become a bigger part, which is great. Um, But this whole idea that Addie's sitting there going, I hope I get asked to prawn... Do you th- and she actually says, "Do you think he forgot about me?" Ugh. That was something that really bothered me even in the first one. After they met in the zombie safe room, after he saves her from breaking a leg as she, you know, catapults back to the floor during the pep rally, it there was still moments where both of them were like, "Oh gee, I hope they remember." Like he's not going to forget about you. Let's pretend that even even if your relationship is not clearly defined, right. if you haven't like established like, okay, you're my boyfriend, you're my girlfriend. Yeah. You guys did a lot together. You covered a lot of ground. You you brought about great change in your city. No, he's not gonna forget you. But being that they completely rewrote the ACs to go back to being evil and they've destroyed all of the letters it would have been a very quick fix to write to that. Yes. Like, um, hey, Brie, I haven't heard from Zed all summer. Like, I- I'm worried that he hasn't written to me. Do you think he's still going to ask me to prawn? Do I right. have a chance here? It Just a simple change would have fixed the whole thing. Yeah, what is he hiding? Did he find somebody else? Like, yeah. re- like you know typical things that teenagers would think when you haven't heard from your significant other the did whole summer. Did he run off with a zombie? You know, like it, there are so many different ways that they could have written it. It's not how they did and I think that the story, the dialogue, the character is kind of worse off for it. Um but now after this crash, Addie's out in the woods and we find the werewolves, right? Don't you think, to pick up on kind of where we left off a few moments ago, don't you think that this is kind of an important part of the town's history? You know, the fixation is the zombies in the first film, which I completely understand. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, by the way, we have werewolves uh, that attack the original settlers of the town. I kind of feel like that's sort of a big deal historically for it to have been like something that was fallen by the wayside in the first but like it it just seems too spectacular to have not been something that should have been a focus in the first film. I'm actually going to disagree because one of the big points 
in the first one is that, you know, they mentioned quickly about Addison's grandfather being bit by a zombie. Right. But one of the big themes of that film is not buying into what the previous generation instilled in you. Um, So it's not just Addison's grandfather. She even says to Zed at one point, you know, this is what I was taught by my parents. Um, So I think that that was a big theme. And I would totally buy that from Seabrook. That's already doing this of passing on this zombie phobia to completely bury another history in its entirety. And more to the point, I think that these films are honestly, you know, I don't want to get too political, but I think they're honestly a great metaphor for what goes on in our country every single day. You know, as far as the the first one deals with prejudice, the second one is dealing with prejudice plus land being stolen from the people that it originally belonged to. Um, so I, I think that's all very much intentional. Yeah, but the difference is the the, the adults were not hiding this historical information from the kids of Seabrook. That's what I'm saying. Like, it just seems like a very important part of the town's history to be like, oh, and by the way, this happened. It's like, really? Because this kind of seems like the entire bedrock for which your town was founded because you're hiding this energy source that has led to your town's prosperity. I mean, literally, your town is built on this. Right. And that would be very on brand with Seabrook to be something that they were proud of because they prospered from it. And we did. I mean, I see it going both ways because we did say Seabrook is very much Stepford. Right. So I would buy the notion that they would completely bury this history. But I could also see where they may have embraced it because they came up off of it. I would have liked this whole subplot more if Addison saw them after the bus crash had no idea who it was to later find out that the city council and her own mother, who is the mayor, was hiding this from them. That would have made more sense. Other than the fact that they are completely self-aware or are completely aware that this has happened, and, and even still she's just running out into the woods, or maybe just writes it off as folklore until she sees them. But I will say this, getting the, the wolves in there, the costuming and the makeup, it's, un, it's so. outstanding good and the color palette that they chose the way that it blends in with the existing pink and green it's just so well done and i think that's a lot of where the costuming budget had to go because you can see like in the seabrook cheer outfits they are far less far less detailed than they were in the first film um obviously a majority of their money went into dressing these these werewolves but it does i mean it it, the werewolves have a great look to them i really think it's more the hair and makeup that carries it than the costuming because some of the fur that they use looks a little cheap the way they have it just like you know draped on a shoulder and sewn into a collar and things like Mm -hmm. that it's it's not as elaborate as it could be but i also think if you went too too much with the fur like you don't want to glam rock it up too much because then it's not going to look like it's a part of this world they just just enough to make it fit in with the overall cinematography so i i think it really worked um to me where the town regresses even more yes you're about to say it i'm so happy yeah regardless of whether or not they buried this werewolf history 
they go back to anti-monster laws so fast with no facts, no evidence, no nothing. And it just undoes everything that the first film accomplishes. And and I know that that's part of the point, but where it's not very well done is that no one else has seen the werewolves other than Addison. This is Bucky making a big stink, which I will buy yeah. because we've regressed him back. So I'll buy this from regressed, not enlightened Bucky. Yeah. Um, But what I don't understand is why such drastic action is taken so fast. And if the anti-monster laws are back into place, they're fixated on the idea that it means that they can't go to prawn. But if the anti-monster laws are in effect, technically speaking, based on what we know from the first film, they shouldn't even be allowed in the school. And yet they are. Exactly. So it's not consistent with what we know. And they also don't really show the fallout as far as what's going to happen to the town now. Like we see Coach close up his Froyo stand, but we don't really see what this means for. Well, Zed's dad is working on the factory. He's foreman now. Right. Um, But we don't see what it means for everyone else. And that's where it's just like this other POV from more of the adults. This is what Descendants does better because... So many of the issues were generational in that film. Yes. We get equal points of view from the kids and their parents. We never get the parents or, or show any sort of repercussion for, for what the parents are, are enforcing upon these right. kids. Yeah, yeah. And you do have them in here. You have enough of a cast to do it. You have... Uh, Zed's father, you have Addison's parents, you have Principal Lee, you could have really dug deeper into all of them and and given them a scene about, okay, you know, and, and I'll totally buy the principals working with the mayor, like, okay, what are we going to do to protect these kids in our town? But they never unpack any of it and they leave the parents as plot devices, which is the same thing that, you know, the first one sort of fell victim to. Here, all of these other characters, we're peeling back the layers of the onion. All of these other characters are getting a lot deeper. And we're going to talk about that more as the movie unfolds. But this would have been a really good place to develop the adults in this world a lot more. Yeah, I mean, the anti-monster laws go back into effect to protect the town from the werewolves who just go ahead and enroll in the school. Because the school district, because the Forbidden Forest is a part of... Of the school district. So not only are the zombies allowed to attend, but the werewolves are allowed to attend. Even though you have laws in place to protect everybody from the werewolves. And I don't like the idea that Zed is going to run for class president so that he can just make prawn inclusive. Because if you have a law in place... The, the the class president is not going to be able to overturn a local municipality. Now, had you had him run Thank for president you. because yeah. Bucky did not want, if Bucky, this would have made more sense. If Bucky was trying to get the zombies banished from the prawn, 
which makes no sense based on how we left him in the last film, but last film be damned because that's just what we're going to do. We're going to live with Bucky as he is in this movie, whether we agree to or not. Neither one of us agree to it, but we have to in, in this case. Had Bucky run under the guise of no monsters allowed because of the werewolves when he secretly was doing it to drive a wedge between the normals and the zombies, that would have made sense if Zed sees through it and that's why he wants to run. He just wants to run so that he and and Addy, who he's going out with anyway, mind you, it's just so that he can get a zombie on the prawn wall of fame. And yet he has the ability to overturn a local law. That's a brilliant solve. Because this is exactly what I was talking about last week, where you zeroed in on how this affects the school, but it is affecting the whole town and we never get to see any of it. So that's where it doesn't really make sense that the anti-monster laws are reinstated immediately, but the zombies can still stay in school. They're there. They don't put them back in the basement. This is just all for the werewolves. So another way to work around that would have been that, Addie's mom says no werewolves and everybody does sort of take that phobic mentality now and then they start taking it out on the zombies as well. And then to your point, yes, then Zed decides to step up because he realizes that not much has changed because there's this other group now. What I do like in this whole conflict is the werewolves motivation that they are actually getting sick because they're not able to recharge their power. And I love how they even um, allude to the elders of the tribe are too weak to travel. So we have to get this done. Like there you address why we're focused on kids and not an entire population. Of course we never see these elders, mind you. No, but we don't need to. That was a good throwaway line. But, but it it covers it as to why there's no adults. Right. Um, And I also think that this was a really clever way to pit Addie and Zed against each other without doing what all of these other DCOMs do and actually break them up. Addie needs Bucky to win for her benefit so she can get, what she has wanted since the first film. This tracks with her character. It's consistent with her dreams. And I need Bucky to win so that I get what I want. But oh no, if that happens, Zed loses. So I think this was like a great little triangle to pit the three of them up against each other. So do I. I I agree. I thought it was really creative and well done that even when they win, they lose. Yes. Um, I... I thought that that was a, that was an interesting twist. One of the one of the things that they did here that really did make a lot of sense, and that they were able to accomplish it without one of them walking off in a huff. Like, I can't yes. believe you would run against me and do that. Like it's it's so played out. We've seen it. So I like that this decom respects the audience enough to not have them acting like children in that way. And to your point, where you said that Bucky uh, can't do both the class president and the cheer squad. I totally buy that because it's the commitment issues. It's the, just the sheer amount of time that it takes. Um, Like there were certain clubs and stuff in my high school. Like for example, I held three offices in three different clubs. Um, But certain ones 
they didn't even let me run for because they knew I was already involved with these other clubs and I, I couldn't run because of the time commitment. So I think it depended on, on what group you were in and what exactly the role was where if you're going to be occupied with something five days a week, which realistically Bucky would be because you have to practice. Right. It's just too much to be both. I mean, realistically, what did the class president ever do other than speak at graduation? I, I mean, I couldn't tell you one thing that a class president ever did in high school. I mean, ours... Like, they had the weekly meeting for the class. They also had to go to student council meetings. But other than, like, planning trips and planning what the senior gift was going to be, I couldn't tell you. They probably didn't need more than an hour a week. It it was a little clicky. I mean, I can't speak to every high school that that's what it was like. But it was a lot of planning trips that, like, this group of friends wanted to do. Our 10-year reunion was what they wanted to do and made like no sense for everyone right um so yeah i couldn't i couldn't tell you well be that as it may um something that kind of happens now which is interesting and it makes sense if in terms of you're trying to put politics into the subplot here where zed needs the werewolf swing vote Right? So he's going to now suck up to them. I mean, yeah, that that's that's politi- that's a microcosm of politi- uh, politics right there. And you take it and and you break it down to to a degree that I think tweens understand it. And I think that was actually well done. But I don't know how I feel about the shoe being on the other foot with Zed. Because Zed the entire first film, what makes him so incredibly endearing is how selfless he is. Because everything that he does is for acceptance and for the zombies. And yes, some of that is for himself. However, he's using himself as a vehicle to help the greater good. In this case, you have him not wanting the zombie, or sorry, not wanting the werewolves to be who they really are. Because you get an entire song about do it as the zombies do. You don't have him wanting Addison, if she is in fact a werewolf, to be who she really is. So the shoe is now on the other foot with him not necessarily practicing what he preached that made him so endearing in the first film. I don't particularly care for it because I think that it steps the character back, but I'm interested in hearing how you felt about this change in Zed. I actually disagree because I think that this is so on brand for Zed is that he's got tunnel vision when it comes to Addison and everything that he's doing, he's doing so that they can be together and be in public and nobody's going to have anything to say about it. But he's stored, he's sort of every time that he does that and every time he has a cause for their relationship stumbles into a bigger cause and how it will help the bigger picture. So I totally buy that for him. And I think that it tracks because what starts as him being focused on the relationship with Addison and thinking that running for president is for the two of them, he actually has this realization now that the anti-monster laws are back in effect that 
we had to work so hard just to have this and to put me in a position where I can play football and then I can run for president. And now the werewolves just had this handed to him. So I actually will buy that for him. But I really love this scene we get between Addie and Zed where they call each other out. And again, they do it in a way where they don't break them up. They just get angry and the gloves are off. He calls Addie out because he doesn't believe that she's standing up for what she actually believes in. And she's just going along with what needs to be done for Bucky. And she calls out his posters because he has altered them so he looks less zombie-like and he looks more, you know, his skin tone is more peachy. It's not as whited out. Um, So I love that she calls him on that. To me, that's what goes against Zed's belief more than anything else, but he's politicking, so I get it. It just seems like an awful lot to do so that he can take Addison to the prawn and get a picture on the wall of fame. What I wish that he would have leaned into a little bit more um, is how it affects those around him. He doesn't make it enough about Bree and Bonzo. Because we, we haven't talked about Bree and Bonzo yet. Mm-hmm. They are heartbroken that the two of them cannot go to prawn together yeah um one of the things that this movie does really well is they make the subplot that works where the two of them are now an item because they're both likable characters in the first film that don't really get quite enough time they don't play quite a large enough role i think in the first film the role that they play works but i like this expanded version of them we as the audience are so sympathetic because they have this really innocent love story. And they're both, in many ways, if you think about it, they're both sort of cast outs, right? Because Bonzo's a zombie, right? Okay, and 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 he was not very easily accepted in the first film because he does not speak English. And in, in Bree's case, she was not going to be on the cheer team until Addie rallied for her. And even then, she's not brought on as a starter. She's an alternate. But she's just so happy to be there because she is still a part of the team. So you take these really two interesting characters. You give them this love story. We're all invested in them because we care about them. We like them. And now they can't do the one thing that we want them to be able to do. So it's just another obstacle for them. It's another instance where they get cast out. I wish that... Like, the movie leans into this yeah, because they want us to be sympathetic towards them. But I feel like Zed does not lean into it enough as to, geez, this really affects everybody more than just me and Addison. Because at this point, you seem like you're just doing this so you can take your girlfriend to a dance. No, and you are right because that does go against the character because we applauded it last week where Zed said, if I accomplish this, if I get on the football team, the deal is if I start winning games for you guys, you need to accept everyone else. Yeah. And I said last week, what's great is that Eliza didn't need to spell that out for him. Here it needs to be spelled out because this just goes back to taking Addy to, to prawn. Yeah. And he doesn't realize that what he is doing is going to mean so much more to so many more. Yeah. And then, like, I feel like Eliza, I feel like in moments, she's kind of lost in the shuffle. 
you know, she's got this whole thing where she wants to prevent the destruction of the power plant because of what it means for zombie lore, what it means for zombie history, what it means for their heritage. And that obviously plays such a large part as we get towards the end of the film with the Moonstone, but there are just times where I feel like they start building on this idea, but it doesn't necessarily go anywhere. I think part of that is the amount of screen time with her and Bucky, because the whole setup is very Bucky centric that he and Zed are running against each other. And then I feel like Bucky disappears for the back half of the movie. And Eliza is not really present for the beginning, but she steps up in a big way at the end. So I think that that's maybe part of the writing where they didn't balance out the two of them enough. And it feels like it's very much front loaded with Bucky and back-ended with her right um but let's talk about how um addison starts to really fall in with the wolves because this is this is happening at the same time right and this is part of the wedge that's being driven between addison and zed is that the the wolves and 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 what's interesting is i can't tell if the wolves are genuine in their pursuit of her or if they're just doing this to take advantage of her when they play up on this idea that, hey, you might be one of us, you might actually belong, and the thing that you're hiding might actually be your, it, it might be the most important part of your identity, and, and, and you can help us, and we're going to accept you. I, I don't know if it's genuine or if they're preying on her. It's almost like um, the whole plot of Anastasia, which, although not a Disney film, although kind of is now because it's Fox. Um, I love Anastasia for that, that she doesn't know who she is. And uh, Dimitri sort of preys on that at first until he realizes, oh, no, you are the real deal. Here, I think it's column A, column B. I think that the pack is so desperate to save themselves. I think that they're willing to believe anything. Um and I think they're also willing to accept her. And it's sort of like, hey, why not? It could be that you are meant to be a part of this pack. I think Willow is playing on um, her not her questioning her identity. I don't think Willow actually believes that she could be the alpha. And I think part of that is jealousy. I think Willow wants to remain the alpha. I don't think she wants anybody taking her spot. So I think she's telling Addie what she needs to hear just to get what she needs out of her. Um, but I love this whole sequence. Obviously, we're going to talk about the music. But from from beginning to end, like I love how it starts with Zed putting the letters together. I think that that's super cute. Um, and then turns into, oh, no, Addie's in trouble. And by the time they find her, she's completely embraced this whole thing. I love her new look. Um, what did you think, though, of the misunderstood text message lame yeah um, very lame yeah um I, th I think that it was a lame means to get them into the woods um it's it's the the, the text is help and then it's it's later a beaker yeah so she needed help with her chemistry homework why not just say i need help with my chemistry homework and all you saw was help and we live in a day and age where if you get a text, you read it. If you get another text, you read it. You don't just ignore it, right? Your your whole thing is... If you're getting a t another text from Addie, 
you're so frank frantic to help her that logic would dictate that when you get another text message from her, the first thing you're going to do is read it. Right. Like in an emergency, you might block out anybody else that's texting you. But if it's the person that needs the help, anytime they come through, you're going to be paying attention for their messages. Yeah. Um, it would have made more sense to me if she had written something like, I need help or help. And then as she goes deeper and deeper into the forbidden woods, hey, we lost cell phone reception because mm. we're deeper into the woods or we're in a cave. I mean, nobody's going to second guess that. Okay, now it makes sense. Now your misunderstanding makes a lot of sense. And this is also where if you wanted to give Eliza more screen time, you could have had her do something techie to yeah. find Addison. Yeah. Find my phone, right? Yeah, you, track her you down. jailbroke the Z-band. Why not, uh, you know, hack into the phone to trace her? And, you know, it also would have, you know, then it then it's like, all right, curfew's instated again, but we're not going to listen because we never listen. Right. That's not us. Right. And it would have been, I think it would have come from a better place if it had come from Zed, Eliza, and Bonzo grabbing Brie to then go get her. And in regards to her new look, I like the costume that they put on her. I like the fact that they're going to give her a more... Uh, they're, they're, they're really going to play with her hair and they're going to give her that look, you know, because the, the, um, the werewolves have a certain look to them. Right. Um, and I like the fact that they're going to play up on that. However, the wig that they put on Meg Donnelly, she looks like dog, the bounty hunter. Oh no. Tell me I'm wrong. No, you're not. Now that I think about it, it's, it's really like no shade at Meg Donnelly. That was not a great wig to put on her. No. And for otherwise brilliant hair and makeup, like that's yeah. the thing. It all went to the zombies in the first one. It all goes to the werewolves in this one. I said it last week. Her wig, especially when it's a wig on wig, is terrible. See, and I didn't think it was as bad as you did. It didn't, well, I didn't think it was that awful. Because it's not always a wig. Sometimes you do see her hair. You do see her roots. Um, like in most of the cheerleading scenes, it's her natural hair, but it's any time that she has to have the white hair poke out like, um, like in bam, you can, you can just tell it's bigger sitting on her head because the white wig is like underneath it. I mean, why not just give her an extension? I, that's what I couldn't figure out. And then have it be a wig when she reveals it at the football game. Uh, but whatever, that was last week's episode. <laughs> um, yeah, I like, I, I love what I love about her new look, though, is how she embodies it and, and it empowers her. Because yes. when she goes home, her father is like, did you join a rock band? Clueless. It's, it's, clueless parent. Oh, whoa. Another <laughs> clueless parent. Oh, welcome to 1994. Um, <laughs> and I love when she gets to school, the ACs are going to like, they're going to cast her out for it. And she's like. You know, I don't give a you know what. Like, it's a great, like, what it does for her character, I think, is spectacular. Um, I, I love that we get this new attitude about her. So this is the thing, like, on the one hand, I don't love what they do with Zed, but I really like what they do with Addison. But does it track that she's so willing to give up cheer for this? That's where I kind of went, mm, because... Her whole identity was cheer. All she wanted was to become part of the squad. In this one, her motivation is I could step in as captain for Bucky. 
And now all of a sudden it seems like she's very quick to throw that away. I'll buy the notion of this is sort of a found family for her. And this is something that she's discovering about herself because even though she wanted to be a cheerleader and she got on the squad, she still felt like she didn't belong because she still went with the outcasts. Her boyfriend is now one of the people that they shunned. They continue to shun him. And after she did make it so that she could fit in in her family's eyes, they everyone still had a big to-do about her hair. So I'll totally buy that it's like now I'm completely stripped of this thing that I felt like I needed and now I might be finding what I actually needed. But there was just so much emphasis on she wanted to do cheer for herself, not to please everyone else that I feel like if it was for everybody else the whole time, then I'd be like, okay, yeah, this makes sense. But she did want this for herself. So I felt like she kind of threw it out the window pretty fast. Well, I'm willing to give her a pass here, but again, where this movie rewinds our characters, um, to call back to last week's episode and the first film, remember, she's the one that at first, and it's very brief, rallies Eliza to sabotage the cheer competition, and they dial back on that. So you do see Addison where... She she does have a rebellion a rebelliousness about her where where she does have a damn the man about her where uh, honey badger don't give a bleep about her mm. um I I think that the problem the problem with this movie in totality the problem that I have with zombies too I'm just gonna bury this now is that these characters are not completely consistent with where we left them in the last film. So, uh, her wanting to be the cheer captain, I buy it from early Addison. I don't buy it from the Addison that we left at the end of the first film. In the first 15 minutes, yes. In the last 15 minutes, no. But uh, they, they've obviously abandoned where they left so many of them off that I'm actually glad that we get this Addison back because it's this to me is the most consistent thing from the end of the first film. To me, this is the character development that the first one lacks because she is questioning, where do I fit in? Right. And I thought I had what I wanted, but oh, maybe I don't. And I'm okay with them building on it in this film, but to do that, it shouldn't have meant the world to her to become the cheer captain at the beginning of this movie. That's the problem. I agree. Speaking of building on things and regressing on others, um, we get to the debate, which Addison completely bails on as far as being there to support Zed. Zed has the moonstone that Willa gave Addison. We didn't see Zed take it, but we kind of knew that that's what happened when he was holding onto the box that she forgot. Um, so now it shorts out his Z band and we see him go full zombie in the middle of the debate. Um, completely on brand for Bucky. I love this line. He goes, I know you won't hurt me, big guy, but they don't. Yeah. And completely starts feeding Zed to be destructive. He has him smash the podium and put on this show 
even though he knows that he's not really in any danger to turn the student body against him. And that's where it's kind of like, yes, they regress the character. No, it doesn't make sense after how much growth there was in the first one. But I just love this moment so much where like he truly believes that Zed is a good person and he knows he's not actually going to harm him, but Bucky is still going to use this for personal gain. Yeah, the payoff is great. And the payoff on um, something that was said earlier, and this was something that I had said last week when talking about the first film, uh, one of the great successes, no wasted dialogue. Um, we know that the Moonstone shorts out electronics because they tell us as much when they walk out of the library without the book or without checking out the book. So, nice catch. So they plant it that the Moonstone can screw with electronics. They sure did. So they, they pay off on it here. Like, the payoffs are great. And that's why I get so infuriated when they do things like write these characters backwards. Um, that was a very nice catch. I didn't... I, I mean, I remember that part about the library, but did not put it together here. But with Zed stealing the Moonstone, he's morally wrong, but is he? This is my thing. It's my question. Morally, how dare you prevent Addison from perhaps being who she really is? However, basically what we've been fed is that that Moonstone's going to turn anybody into a wolf. So if Addison's not a wolf, now we haven't seen what obviously how this plays out yet. Mm. The we, We're led to believe that anybody can grab that necklace, put it on, and become a wolf. So is he wrong for trying to protect her from becoming a monster? Remember, that he has grown up a monster. He has grown up an outcast. She hasn't. And that's his reasoning for taking it. So he's wrong, but is he? Yeah, I'll agree with you there because... It's wrong of him to stand in her way and and not only stop her from doing something that she wants to do, but he's duping her by the way that he goes about it. But at the same time, I fully buy this from Zed. And not just Zed, but like, you know, he's a teenager in love. He wants to go to the prom with his girlfriend. Right. I totally buy that this is just, you know, a moment of him being kind of young, dumb, and in love. Well, this is also the first time that I, when we watched the movie for the first time, this was the first time I questioned, does she even really want this? Or is she just doing this because she thinks that this is going to get her the acceptance and the chosen family that she thinks that she needs? Because obviously she's not getting it with cheer. She's not getting it with the normals, right? And now even her boyfriend normals... has this whole other thing, so she doesn't even necessarily she feel like she belongs with him. Right, but now the normals have accepted her, though, because they're willing to have her be the cheer captain. So again, right. we're going to just undo a lot of things. Right. Um, I don't know that Addison really wants to be a werewolf. I think she just wants to be accepted. Agreed. And in that case, it's like, well, if she's going to com- completely change... And become a monster. He's not wrong for trying to protect her. Wrong for stealing. But not wrong for trying to protect her. Right. Um, this leads me to my next thing. 
They rush the conflict between Addison and Zed, and they rush the solution. Addison is so upset with Zed for lying to her, for stealing from her, stealing from her. And then she says, and I questioned myself. You did you question yourself by saying, I I lost it. How could I be so irresponsible? That one line is not enough where you question yourself. Like, it is, but that was not a big enough moment. That line is not a big enough moment where... And, and if that's where you want to lean, this movie actually has, like, a 15-minute like a runtime shorter than the first. So if you wanted to play on this idea that she questions herself, her responsibility, her integrity, you probably could have had two or three more minutes of screen time where you played that out a little bit, where it really aided her. Other than saying, I can't believe I'd lose it, you don't really see her question herself. Well, I think this goes more, I think this goes deeper than just her being responsible with it. I think that this goes to a place of she's already questioning where she fits in, but the constant was always Zed. I think I actually really liked the line because I think it speaks more to this relationship was built on a foundation of us knowing who we were, us fighting for something, us being a part of a cause. And now she doesn't know who she is as far as cheer She's not sure who she is as far as being a werewolf. And she's not sure about her relationship, which was the thing she was always sure of. So I think that this was more. You made me. Uh, you know, you're, you're shaking my foundation here of mm-hmm. the one thing that I really did believe in. I actually really like it. And especially because she has always had something to believe in. Like this is a big deal for her of, of not knowing who she is. And the brilliance of that moment is that the payoff comes immediately because she puts the necklace on and doesn't transform. So all of this was literally for nothing. Right. And this is the moment that I thought we were going to get it, you know, during the football game in the first film where you're just going to fall short. We haven't seen it yet. So the payoff here is worthwhile and it makes a lot of sense. And I think that it's well done. Um, but did they rush to a solve? Because next thing we know, it's boom, boom, boom. It's boom, boom, boom. The zombies get together with the werewolves who, by the way, are dying but yet have just enough energy to go to the prawn. Well, before even that, we get the factory explosion, which, by the way, for a decom, wasn't awful. I was actually was very surprised good. with that CGI. Yeah, I thought that good. was, yeah, pretty, pretty well done. Um, I have less of an issue with, yes, the werewolves are managed to have just enough energy to get to prom, or to prawn rather, excuse me. Um, I buy Bucky rolling up in the flashy limo. What I don't buy is that they didn't want to miss out on prawn. They should be walking in to this banging party where everybody's dancing, everybody's having fun. And maybe this is just me being a product of my time where any film where there was like that 90s 
school dance or the prom or whatever, whenever the outcast character shows up, there's that record scratch, right? Yeah. So the fact that you have them walk in in complete silence, I don't care that we don't have a record scratch. I didn't need the sound effect. But they wanted to go to this party. There is no party. Nobody's having a good time. And it's not because they're all sitting there contemplating like, gee, half of our friends are missing. Look what we did. Does this really feel good to be celebrating when they're not here? No, nobody's just, they're just sitting around. Nobody's doing anything. Yeah. And everyone walks in in silence. There should have been a big dance number here where the rest of them walk in and crash prawn. But we're going to dance. We're going to sing Someday Again from the last film. And all is forgiven and forgotten. I didn't mind that they brought that back because that is their thing, you know. They just didn't give this conflict enough time to breathe. Or anything that follows. Because now it's just rush, rush, rush to the finish. The The dialogue is so bad when the floor just cracks open. Oh, this must be because of the moonstone in the fault line. Here, let's go into the tunnel and follow it. It'll go right to the factory. It's just very much dialogue 101 here. And the the entire like the entire thing that Brie is even there. Because Brie first off, I don't buy that she would go to prawn if Bonzo can't be there. Number 1. I agree. Number 2. The entire first act of the film is the desire the focus is on Zed and Addison, but it's all of them. It's every student of getting a prawn invitation. So, I mean, yeah, technically you can go to whatever dance you want. You don't need to be invited, but they make such a big deal about getting an invitation. Oh, yeah. That it just seems out of character for Brie to not only show up uninvited, but to show up without her date because he is not permitted to be there. It would have been a bigger moment if she would have decided to sit it out, but she already had her prawn dress in the closet. They all rally, go to the house, get her, and then get to the prawn and crash it together. I'll buy that Addison's there because the whole thing was, I don't have to go to prawn. We can have our own prawn, but she's mad at him. Right, and says, I'd never go to prawn with you. But for Brie, this doesn't check out. Nor does it check out for Bucky when the floor's opening up. Where's your meltdown? Yeah, he doesn't really have it. But This would have been a great comedic moment for him. Instead, you're right. We just follow the fault line, and Zed shorts out his Z-band again because, oh no, we're trapped. But, I thought that worked. I mean, it the worked. The pacing is too fast, it's but too fast. I believe it because that's been his whole thing is he's going to use his... And I think that's what this film does well as far as developing the characters more about embracing your inner monster. He's always done that with tricking out the Z-band. But here, he's been trying so hard to shun the monster the entire film. Now he's got to step up and embrace it to save everyone. I'll absolutely buy that. But he's just kind of like, all right, cool. We're cool. We got it. We're good. All right, everybody go back to the dance. And now we're back at the dance. The one thing that this did do well, though, that high school musical, it took him three damn movies to get the two of them to kiss. Oh, my God. We f- I mean, you got it here. You got it at the end of this movie. The fact that they didn't in the first one, I was kind of like, 
Oh, okay. Like, why are we trying to play this so innocent? And maybe well, it's they're because... freshmen. I think they were a little young. Yeah, and, and also because it's a zombie, and maybe you didn't want. I don't know, kids asking questions or things coming up. Like, I, I don't know. But then when they backed out of the second kiss, when it's interrupted in this film, I was like, are you going to let these two hormonal teenagers kiss already? So, yeah, for that much, there was a payoff. Um, a little inconsistent, though, because they have Addison in heels at the beginning of the dance. And by the end, she's in sneakers. I would have bought the sneakers the entire time because she cheers. It's what she does. Like, yeah. But that that stood out like a sore thumb to me. Um, how do you feel about how the way that this movie ends? Because you think that the movie's over. Now we're all happy-go-lucky again. We're all at the prawn. Okay, so we're now we're back to kind of where we were at the start of the, or at the conclusion of the last film, Aliens. How do you feel about Aliens? I mean... I don't know that I would have been shocked had I seen this when it came out, not knowing that there was a third one coming. So I'm not at all surprised that they were leaving the door open. But of all the supernatural sci-fi things that they could have gone with, I wouldn't immediately jump to aliens. Like I would think of this genre, like to me it's zombies, werewolves and vampires. But then I think you get too close to twilight. So I guess I appreciate that they steered away from that. But I feel like if anything, vampires would be the more natural step here. Let's start talking about some of the new members of our cast before we get into uh, the music here, there's there's a handful of new cast members that I'd like to talk about, starting with Chandler Kinney as Willa. Um, I like her in the movie. I, I think that she's a good, you know, I don't want to call her the matriarch because they're obviously adolescents, but she's a good female lead that has control. Um, I do believe that she is in control uh for most of the film. Uh, I, I like her as a representative of the werewolves. I like her as a representative for all that they stand for. Uh, and I thought that she was all around a very interesting character and, and, and a little conflicted herself, but I like where they went with her. I love this character. Um, everything from the way that she played her to the aesthetic, to the way that she's written. Um, I thought she was just a great, really well-rounded character. Um, and she was exactly what she needed to be. She was an antagonist, not a villain. Um, she was fighting for her own cause selfishly at times, but it's a good arc for her to realize her place in this whole town. Um, so I, I really liked her. Pierce Joseph plays Wyatt. What I like about Wyatt is that he's never out there to steal the girl. Yes. And they could have very easily written that subplot. Where I thought that's where it was going. Yeah. I'm glad they didn't go there. Yeah. I'm glad that he ultimately is doing this for the best of the pack, that he's doing this because he's trying to get uh, that he's trying to get Addison to accept who she may really be. 
Um, he's doing this for the white alpha, but he never comes off in such a way where it seems like he's trying to take advantage of her. No, and I think that if you had done that or if he was trying to steal the girl, there just would have been too much going on because you already have the triangle with Zed running against Bucky. I think yeah. this just would have been far too convoluted. I'm glad that they stayed away from it. And it also makes him seem more genuine with wanting to help Addison figure out who she is. If if there was a love interest, then it would have seemed disingenuous or self-serving. Um, so I like that it was just a friend helping a friend and supporting each other. And I also like that there was none of that between him and Willa either. Yeah. And I like that he also wasn't her sidekick. He had just as much agency as she did. Uh, Ariel Martin plays Winter. We haven't mentioned Winter yet. No, but I loved her. She's very good comic relief. She reminds me of Ty in Clueless. Slightly because she looks like Brittany Murphy did in that movie. Yeah. Um, but the way that she is the comic relief, like, yeah, she just totally reminded me of Ty in Clueless. But um, I, I liked her a lot. Are you ready to talk about the music? <sighs> so ready. Another banger soundtrack yeah i i think we're gonna be on different sides of the fence when it comes to this soundtrack maybe because well to me um mm -hmm. w without breaking the songs down individually my takeaway is more the visual of these musical numbers i really liked them i think a lot of that comes from the werewolves um so maybe not, you know, maybe I'll realize as we're talking through, like, maybe lyrically the songs are not as strong. But, like, visually, if these were all music videos on their own, they're incredible. Yeah. Uh, we Got This is the first song in the film. Um, it's it's fun. It's It's a fun enough open. But, again, we're very much putting an emphasis on stepping these characters back to a place previous to where uh, we left them at the end of the first film. Um, the other thing in particular with this is that I feel as if this song, and, and I can't say this about the other songs in the first film, those songs on their own stand out as being just very good songs. This is very tied to this movie. And I know that yeah. like we talk about, um, we don't talk about Bruno and how that went to number one. And I think you had even said, it, I know you and I had had this in, in private conversation. I'm not sure if it came up on the show or not. It, it very, well may, uh, very well may have. Um, unlike something like a Let It Go, right? Um, we Don't Talk About Bruno is extremely tied to Encanto because it has to be. Mm -hmm. So as a standalone song, not its best. This is extraordinarily tied to Zombies 2. Yeah. We've definitely talked about, we don't talk about Bruno in that regard, that it doesn't transcend the film. It's just too tied to the plot and the story uh, to make sense, whereas Let It Go has like a bigger message that transcends Frozen. But um, I completely agree with you in the case of Zombies 2. In fact, I don't even have specific notes on the song itself because all of them are story notes that we've covered already. Um, it's just about the reset and, and the open of the film. So it's not very memorable as far as the lyrics go. It's more just setting us up for what's to come. We own the night. 
This song's fun as hell. This entire number is really good. Um, and I know that the Sanderson sisters are a big thing at Not So Scary, and I'm not suggesting that they should go. But now that we've had the same Sanderson show a couple of times, I'm okay if we have the Sandersons in there. But like to me, this is a song and this is a dance number that should be on a stage show at Not So Scary. It could be, and we just never realized, because they do have the Zombies uh, stage show in Tomorrowland. We've never watched We should have. Well, we did. Well, we caught a, a small part of it a couple of weeks ago when we were there, but it was really just a couple of... There were two cheerleaders. Yeah. No, and I wanted to go over. I mean, we were wrapping up the night. We had to get out of there so we could get back for Walt. I wanted to go over and see what it was all about because I was like, oh, now that we're more familiar with the movie, like maybe we'll appreciate this more. But I mean, yes, it is a kid's show, but I don't know how much of the soundtrack they're actually doing. But I mean, I would like to see more of this at Not So Scary because I think it would be really cool. But um, I love this number. it's a good introduction for the werewolves. It's a good way for them to build on, on yeah. what we've seen so far and them hiding in the shadows. But they also use that to their advantage. They embrace that they are creatures of the night. And I love once they finally get to Seabrook, you've got these bright pastel colors of Seabrook and they're hiding behind the oversized potted plants. And, you know, anytime somebody else walks by, They'll go back to the shadows, yeah. but they're still infiltrating Seabrook. It, it was a really good transition to get them into town. Like the zombies do. This is a mix of Bruno Mars and Disney. Again, it's it's just a very fun number. I agree. That's uh, the exact note I had. It's, it's so much fun. So here's where things are kind of interesting, though. So George S. Clinton wrote, he composed for this. And yeah, obviously, he's got a very impressive uh, composing history. Um, gotta find where I belong. I think it's a good song. It sounds like a Rihanna song. And it's at this point that I'm starting to see a trend where these songs start to sound like they're trying to be radio hits that were popular at the time. Oh, and for I have sure. another one. No, but I have another one that gets like almost blatantly. So this is like, it's a good soundtrack, but I don't think it's as good as the last one because the last one was just trying to be its own thing. This is trying really hard to sound like other soundtracks and other radio hits. I actually really like this song, though. I love how the duet plays out. I love how these characters are questioning themselves. And again, they did it where Addie and Zed were not like straight up fighting to a point where they've broken up. They just start to question themselves and then they start to see the other side of it. So I love how the duet is sung you know, even though they're apart, it's to each other almost. Um, and and this is where, to me, you see the greatest example of the character development in this section. Call to the Wild. Love it. It doesn't do it for me. But it's because I don't like the talk rap. It, you know what it is? I'm sorry. It's not the song. It's the sequence. I love what they're doing with these giant bamboo sticks and Addie's hopscotching over them. I thought that that was really cool. I love this multi-tiered set in the cave. uh, And I love the choreography. But yeah, no, could I, do I remember a lyric from it or, or what the song is? No, not really. But like as a whole, I love this number. I'm winning. I don't like it, but I like it. Um... 
I don't care for the style of music, but I like the fact that instead of doing a debate, they hit on rap battle. You know, like epic, epic rap battles of history. Well, not just that, but I mean, it's it's no Hamilton, but it's pretty great because they do this in Hamilton as well. Yeah, so you see Hamilton, epic rap battles, right? Um, and if you listen to Flesh and Bone and you don't hear The Greatest Showman, you've never seen The Greatest Showman. That did not even occur to me. Well, hold on. You skipped over. I didn't get to give you the my full thoughts on I'm winning because I do really love this number. And this one, I'm not just talking about as a whole. The song is very memorable for me. I love that they weren't afraid to actually have Bucky and Zed take the digs at each other. It wasn't like a clean, I'd be better for this reason. No, they actually lay into each other's character. And I love that. And I love the choreography. I love both sides going at each other. Yeah. yeah. This one is super well done. Um, More than flesh and bone though. It's great. I did not make that connection to greatest showman at all, but you are absolutely right. One for all. Um, it's the song that ends the film. It doesn't sound like we're all in this together. It's not supposed to, but we're ending it on the same note. It's fine. It's not a great number, but it's a fine way to end the movie. That's exactly it. It feels like they needed to find an ending. And there it is. So final thoughts on zombies Two. I'll go first this week. Um, it's okay. It's it's not a bad movie. You you know my gripes with it. And I'm not going to back down on those gripes because I don't like when any movie does this. But is it High School Musical 2 bad? No. Is it the second Halloween Town bad? No. Is it Teen Beach 2 bad? There are elements of Teen Beach 2 that are much better than this. I just hate how Teen Beach 2 concludes. Um, it's it's okay. It It's it's middle of the road. Um, by DCOM sequel standards, I think it's actually quite good. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that it's a great sequel. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic when it comes to sitting for next week's review. Um... What I'd like to see from next week is I'd like to see them not do what they did here. We've now had right. two films where the cast has learned its lesson. The cast has learned to accept. The cast has learned to be a unit. I need to see this play out. I need to actually see them as a unit in the third film. I cannot see them revert back. You just please do not do it again. That is my goal. If they can stay consistent and pick up where this left off and have me feel like it's a true continuation of the story, next week's episode uh, episode should be it should be great. It sh- it should it should talk the tale of a wonderful trilogy with a good conclusion. But I am cautiously optimistic that they're actually going to do it. Right. Because what I don't want to see now is that the zombies accept the werewolves and now they're against the aliens. It's just not going to make sense. So they've got to embrace them to begin with. And then you might have monsters versus Seabrook altogether. I don't know. But yeah, it, it can't be another retread, um, to land this plane successfully. 
Um, but as far as my thoughts on this one, believe it or not, I actually like this better than the first one. And I think that that's because, I mean, I, I really like the introduction of the werewolves. I think that that was really cool. Um, you know, just as far as what the characters stood for and the whole aesthetic. Um, but I think what I appreciate in this one more so than the first is that they got to peel back the layers of the onion and develop these characters a little bit more. Um, I don't like that to your point, they had to take one step backwards to bring us two steps forwards as far as some of these characters go, but where they did give the main characters a chance to breathe and really question everything that they know, that was what I needed and didn't get in the first one. We are interested in knowing what you have to say about Zombies 2. You can let us know on X, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. Hey, everyone, this is Brian down here in South Florida. I'm about two hours south of Disney, and when it comes to planning vacations, Jackie's the way to go. When it came to booking my family vacation for my two-year-old daughter and my wife, you know, like everybody, I immediately went to the internet, started scouting prices. Just out of curiosity, I reached out to Jackie. She mentioned she was uh, booking vacations for many people. So I gave her my uh, list, my itinerary. She looked it over, and when she came back to me, she gave me her recommendations in regards to the parks. However, she also had new pricing associated with it. Um, I've learned that going on my own doesn't necessarily mean that I'll be getting the best pricing. On top of that, it was stress-free. So all my vacations in the future are going to be through her because I don't have to think about it. She plans it. I give her some information in regards to what I want to do and create the itinerary for me. She's a market expert. She advised on which rides to attack first, which restaurants I should schedule on what day, and how to properly allocate my time to maximize my vacation. It was an amazing process. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. So if you are interested in completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets, or you can email me directly, monorealradio at gmail.com. Lots of parks news this week, which yes. is very exciting. Starting with some food news for you foodies out there. Starting on October 11th, there are going to be some adjustments made to a few of the lounge menus. Some of them have become haunts for you and I. I was going to say, this is not just for the foodies. This is speaking directly to us because they have become local hangs. Yeah, places that we frequent. I just hope that the adjustments are additions and not subtractions because... You know, it hurts sometimes when you when you have a place that you frequent and you love to go there and all of a sudden your favorite thing comes off the menu. That's true of every restaurant, though. I think that Disney Parks blog was very careful to acknowledge what they were keeping to avoid any rioting because some of these so they, they made sure to note that their popular dishes were remaining on the menu and, and that your favorites are safe. So I think that these are just more like additions and yeah. they're diversifying the lounge menus a little bit more because I feel like the lounge menus are great. I mean, like that's why we go so often because the yeah. food is awesome. But um, I think that part of this as great as Disney is with addressing vegetarian, vegan options, gluten-free options, really any kind of food allergy. Um, I feel like you see the most diversified menus at the sit down full service restaurants. Right. Um, so I think that this was maybe just a way and taking note of the timing that this is all happening. I think they're trying to get ahead of these holiday crowds coming in 
and they're trying to curb the options. If you can't get into your favorite restaurant, now you've got great options at your hotel. Right. And and quick and casual, not quick serve as in you're grabbing it from the food court, but exactly some other menu options for those who, instead of having a, an ADR, you just jump on a virtual wait list and you're sitting within a half an hour. We're talking about Geyser Point over at the Wilderness Lodge, Three Bridges at Coronado Springs, and the Banana Cabana over at Caribbean Beach. Let's start off with Geyser Point. Um, they are... Very specific to say that the bison burger is always going to be there, but they've added some starters. Uh, the crispy Peking ribs, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, that looks phenomenal. And and when I say looks phenomenal, we've not seen any of this in person yet. Um, it's, it's the Disney Parks uh, Instagram and then the Disney Parks blog that has some photos of some of the new stuff. Yes, they've added a couple of new flavors to the Geyser Point. Uh, chicken wings, Thai chili, or sriracha buffalo are going to be available. Um, and a charcuterie flatbread. So it's basically a charcuterie board on a flatbread pizza with smoked Gouda beer cheese. That sounds awesome. Yes. I would definitely try that. They've also added a turkey BLT uh, sandwich to the menu. So kind of their play on a on a club sandwich. Um, they've also added three new plant-based items. And I think that this was a location that probably needed m more plant-based options because I love Geyser Point. I don't eat strictly plant-based, um, but there are a lot of people that do. And it seems like that's a very... Um, in-demand sort of trend when it comes to how people are addressing how they eat, what they eat. And the thing with Geyser Point is it's very much a sports bar, which is great, but that was one of the locations that I think it was kind of harder to go strictly... Like, if you eat strictly plant-based, I think this was a harder location to dine in. I would agree with that because I think just the whole vibe there, it's a heartier menu to sort of lean into that. Um, and this is what I'm talking about diversifying a little bit more so that, you know, you're, you're covering all of your bases that right. way. Nobody is turned off by the menu. The menu was excellent, but I think that that's the issue they probably ran into is that if you're staying at the hotel and this is, you're just, you know what? We had a long day at the park. We're going to call it a night early. We're going to go dine at our hotel. Right. Uh, or if you can't get your favorite restaurant um reservation you want to be able to eat at your hotel but if there's not options there for you that's probably very aggravating so i think this was a smart choice for them so they have macaroni and quote-unquote cheese bites and a vegetable burger with quote-unquote cheese uh so it's going to be an imitation cheese a vegan cheese i would imagine um and they're adding the multi-grain salad with tofu uh for those who like to have a a cocktail at the bar and relax. Pineapple Mule has been added to their drink list. That one I've not tried yet, but I am very much looking forward to our holiday foray over to the lodge to yeah. see the tree and yep. get some I, hot chocolate. It is such a great spot to take in Christmas decorations. Yeah. It's underappreciated. Uh, Three Bridges, my sole animal. Yeah, this is still hands down my favorite spot. Korean fried chicken bao buns have been added as a starter. Yes, please. As have the tamarind soy glazed pork ribs and ceviche classico. I'm surprised that ceviche classico wasn't something that was already on that menu. Yeah. Like you'd think that that would have been like 
a day one opening standard to have ceviche on the menu over at Three Bridges. Right. Um, they, and the corn dip is safe, I believe, as far as Appies go, yes? they ha- It doesn't say that they took it away, so I would imagine that it's safe. I thought that was one of the ones they listed is still there. Um, I'm pretty sure it is. Villa del Lago wedge salad has been added as well. Uh, some new entrees, pork carnitas tacos have been added, as have the chicken mole poblano. That is going to be on there as well. And they've made a slight adjustment to the burger. Uh-oh. They've made a slight adjustment to the burger. What have they done? Because I'm seeing this in real time. You're getting my real reaction. Bacon marmalade, sun-dried tomato jam, smoked gouda queso, crispy vegetables, and arugula with the smoked paprika fries. All right, so that's not a huge change. Yeah, when I read that, admittedly, I was a little nervous because I know you don't love Gouda, and I was like, I know you're never going to eat the sun-dried tomato. Right. But you've also gotten the steak from there, too. So I was like, there's still options, even though they did lean into a lot of spicy additions on this menu. They did, and I, I can't eat spice. I just I don't have the palate for it. You know what I'm wondering just based on all of the changes that we've mentioned, I know we still have to get over to Caribbean Beach, but just from what we've gone through so far, I'm wondering if they are really trying to steer these to more adult dining to defer the families from eating there so that you do have more adult spots, which I mean, here's the thing. We've talked about this on the show because there have been a lot of times where you and I have been shut out of a bar because there's kids sitting on high top chairs, which we were surprised at because in New York, where we're from, that is illegal. You cannot have kids sitting at the bar, even if obviously they're not drinking, even if they're just eating, you can't be up there. Yeah. Um, That is legal in Florida, which should surprise no one. Um, But especially at a place like Disney, I mean, I get it. If that's the only seating that's available, you don't want to shut out a family of four from eating there, especially after a long day, if the kids are hungry, you, you don't want to send them away. You want to be able to feed them. So I, I get it. I do. But I'm wondering if this is Disney's way of sort of steering away from making the lounges family-oriented dining and making them sort of without coming out and saying it more adults-only areas. Maybe. I mean, at the end of the day... I don't think it matters what you put on these menus because you're still going to serve grilled cheese and hamburgers and cheeseburgers and chicken tenders and fries because at the end of the day, they're not going to turn kids away. At the end of the day, they closed and tore down Pleasure Island to put in Disney Springs because they wanted to make it more family accessible. A six-year-old is not going to eat that burger regardless of what you put on it. Fair. Now, in regards to what you said, I don't believe... I understand why places like Disney and Universal are not going to make their own rules saying that children cannot sit at the bar. However, children should not be sitting at the bar. If if the kid is eating, if you're all eating to me, like, all right, it's one thing. But my issue comes from too often we go into a restaurant. We prefer to sit at the bar over a table, frankly. But it's frustrating when you go in and mom and dad are sitting there. Mom and dad are allowed to kick back and have a drink. They're on vacation, too. They're taking their kids to Disney. They absolutely deserve it. But mom and dad are sitting at the bar drinking a few glasses of wine, and the kids are sitting there playing on the phone, drinking a water or a soda. 
that to me, no, the kid has to go. You can't, you should, somebody that's in there to have a meal, kick back, relax, should, who's over the age of 21, should not have the ability to do so taken away because Junior needs to drink his soda pop and watch YouTube on your phone. That's just how I feel about it. But with that being said, let's move on. Um, they there one more entree that they did add over at uh, at uh, Three Bridges: a plancha seared mahi mahi and shrimp. Um, and what you're referring to with the roasted corn dip, um, they've also made that plant based. Um, oh, okay. It's it's available with tofu, so I believe that they have their traditional version. However, they will have a version uh, with tofu. That is going to be made available. And my poke bowl is safe. And your poke bowl is safe. I believe tofu is an add to that too. Because I think it was just yes. chicken or shrimp. And you, now they're doing a tofu ad. Correct. Um, and they've added some desserts too. Some warm churros. A coconut oh, flan. Oh yeah. Coconut flan. And then a cold brew old fashioned. Say less. That's that's October 11th. Those changes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Caribbean Beach. Over at the Banana Cabana. Um, they are adding a banana cabana burger. Uh, they've got two new flavors for their grilled uh, wings, rum barbecue and guava buffalo. Rum barbecue. Ooh. That's got me interested. Uh, they've also added seafood fritters and coconut shrimp. And it looks like that's all that they've added over at the cabana banana again you kind of think something like cabana banana coconut shrimp probably would have been a staple right but but it's a good menu for for what it is it fits yeah, the vibe there for sure um well lots of new stuff for us to try lots of new stuff for us to try let's talk about the candlelight processional finally i have been waiting for this announcement yeah finally they get announced uh a lot of new speakers this year actually and a lot of like really big names this year i mean they always get a good lineup but i was like wow they they really came out swinging yeah chrissy metz louis fonzi uh and margaret they're all new simu lu uh from uh oh uh the rings yeah i why can't i think of the name of I, it? I just it just uh, Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi. Oh, my goodness. I, yes. Yeah, it took a minute for me. Uh, Stamos, NPH, Marley the Matlin. Two staples. Yep. And Marley Matlin's become a staple as well. Yes. Uh, but here are some new ones. Then they go on like this big, long list of new. Brendan Fraser. Super excited for that. Ava Longoria. Joey McIntyre. Sterling K. Brown. Jordan Fisher. All of which are new. Jordan Fisher is going to shut that place down. Yeah, that's a big one for them to get. Stephen Curtis Chapman, Audra McDonald, and Lisa Ling. So uh, no Cal Ripken Jr., no Gloria Estefan, no uh, Pat Sajak. Pat Sajak's done it a couple of times. I'm surprised they didn't get him back, but I think maybe he's kind of looking more into his retirement now as he's getting ready to leave Wheel of Fortune. But I mean, they. this is a lot of... New names and, and to your point, some real A-list talent that they have coming in for it this year. It's a really solid lineup. Yeah. No, and I like that they're pulling from all different facets of Disney. You've got people from ABC. You've got Sterling K. Brown now that he's released from his This Is Us contract. I mean, he's obviously done things with Disney before like Black Panther and Frozen. So it's nice to see that they can actually get him to make the physical appearance. Yes. 
Um, and for those that are looking to travel to Walt Disney World starting in the spring, if you have kids, it looks like this is going to be a great opportunity for you to start traveling to Walt Disney World. Uh, starting on November 14th, 2023, uh, they are offering a package valid for stays most nights from March 3rd through June 30th. Take a listen to this. Children ages 3 through 9, theme park tickets and dining packages will be half off with the purchase of a non-discounted four-day, four-night Disney travel package. So I guess in other words, you can't stack it with Florida resident or AP or Disney visa. Like if you don't have those afforded to you, if you don't, if you don't belong to any of those groups, they are offering this half price children's package. I think that that's a really great discount for those that are looking to travel and maybe take their kids to Disney for the first time. Correct. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can't stack any discounts, unfortunately. Otherwise, right. I mean, especially people who have the Disney Visa and Disney Plus, you'd be getting like 50% off of your of your package, which would be amazing, but they're not stupid. They're not no. gonna they're not gonna eat that much money. But this I was really surprised about as far as the time of year, because usually they do offer some sort of quarterly discount and they do cover all of their bases, whether it is for Disney Visa or Disney Plus, or, well, Florida resident, yes. Or it's just a random 25% off. But, I mean, that comes down to your basic supply and demand. Obviously, post-pandemic, in those couple of years where they still had to make good on a lot of vacations, they weren't offering these things. Now, you see they're trying to get all of these advanced, advanced bookings. So, normally, they will do it quarterly where... August, we usually see those end of the year holiday travel discounts around now, which they did. They released those early 20 or early next year yeah. uh, travel discounts. But this, I'm surprised that they're trying to go that far in advance where they're already trying to hit the spring break crowds. So it, it's just interesting to see. I mean, yes, obviously, we know that they're going to pump $60 billion into the parks over the next 10 years, but I'm wondering if this is part of that strategy to get these deposits, get these early bookings, and now it's on a six-month rolling basis as opposed to three or four months. Yes. Well, we are interested in knowing what you have to say about all of the Disney news this week. You can let us know on X, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. I just gave you the social media. Don't forget we are also on threads and TikTok at Monorail Radio. And for links to everything related to the show, it is online at monorailradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monorail Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.